This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. Listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank, Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes relating to philanthropy and civil society. I'm your host, as ever, Rod Davis, and in this episode we are in conversation with Asha Curran. Asha's the uh, CEO of Giving Tuesday, which is the global generosity movement that started uh, a few years back in about 2012, I think. Um, initially as a response to the sort of consumerism of Black Friday and Cyber Monday, but has grown beyond that and spawned into a worldwide movement of kind of affiliated organisations uh, taking the Giving Tuesday model and adapting to their own environment, as you'll hear in the uh, in the interview. Uh, and it's a neat fit because CAF actually leads Giving Tuesday in the UK, so I've been meaning to talk to Asha for quite a while now. Um, it's also a neat fit because uh, the week that this is going out is the week ahead of Giving Tuesday, so that's uh, on the 1st of December this year. But more broadly, I'm really interested uh, in talking to Asha because um, we have a shared interest in kind of lots of issues around uh, distributed leadership and decentralization and kind of movement building and that's a lot of what this conversation is about so yeah we had a, a great conversation as i say kind of talking about some of the questions around how you make distributed models of leadership and governance work how that relates to the kind of growing emphasis on uh, movement building and kind of digitally enabled social movements what some of the challenges are in terms of adopting a distributed model uh, in terms of retaining control and whether you had to balance the sort of uh, measure of centralised control in order to set strategy and, and keep people on a shared vision with empowering people at the edges uh, of the structure. Um, we talked about the use of data uh, and how important you know that is in terms of uh, coordinating philanthropy and philanthropic effort and then in terms of driving new giving uh, and the work that Giving Tuesday has been doing through its data collective in trying to kind of understand patterns of giving. And um, we talked quite a lot about the, the shift in emphasis away from thinking of philanthropy as something that is the sole preserve for very wealthy people towards thinking about it that is something uh, more open to everyday people and a kind of focus on mass giving rather than, than a kind of uh, high net worth giving. And tied into that is um, what uh, Asha and other people working for, for Giving Tuesday have sort of learned through the process of internationalising about the different ways in which we think about giving around the world and how that could potentially kind of inform our own thinking about philanthropy. Um, and then we we also talk finally about sort of more broadly the question of the role that platforms are playing in enabling philanthropy and what some of the opportunities and challenges of that are. So without further ado, let's go into the conversation. Um, as ever, I'll be back at the end for a little bit of housekeeping, signposting and tidying up, but otherwise, enjoy! Okay, great. So I'm here with Asha Curran. Hi, Asha. Hi, Roger. It's nice to be here. Great to have you. Um, and Asha, you are the CEO of Giving Tuesday, um, a movement that I'm sure lots of people will be, be aware of. And I'm sort of tangentially involved with um, through my employer, Charities Aid Foundation here in the UK, where we run the, the UK part of Giving Tuesday. Um, but perhaps you could um, just say as a sort of starting point a bit in your own words about what Giving Tuesday is and how it came about and what sort of purpose of the campaign is. 
Sure. So it started in 2012 when um, I worked at a New York uh, cultural institution called the 92nd Street Y. Um, and boss was uh, Henry Timms, who later became CEO of the 92nd Street Y and is now CEO of Lincoln Center. Um, and we were working on uh, a, a kind of portfolio of innovative projects. Um, so really playing around with the idea of what community you know, kind of means in the 21st century and, you know, what, what influence, um, you know, emerging digital and social technologies we're going to have on content and um, consumption and participation in the world of ideas, basically. And so there were a bunch of different things we were trying. And one day, um, Henry had the idea for, for Giving Tuesday and sort of it all started there. Um, and we made a couple of early decisions that I think were really fundamental to the to the growth of um, of Giving Tuesday in those early years. We decided to launch it right away, um, you know, unlike kind of going through the typical nonprofit cycle of, you know, committee meeting an idea to death for a year before it goes out to market. This was much more like, let's just get this thing out there and in 60 days, did it, let's, you know, see if it works. And if it doesn't, no harm done. It was pretty low resource. Um, and the second thing we did was to make it like a highly, highly collaborative, um, really networked right from the beginning idea. So really getting it out to lots of people from different sectors and, and taking their advice and being, you know, just really humble about the fact that it was, you know, it was an idea that, that we had really no idea how to how to execute um, a kind of brand new thing, and uh, and we we formed you know a pretty amazing coalition of, of friends and ambassadors and people who are still really involved in the movement, and really helped sort of in the, the early design of what it was meant to be, um, and the basic idea was uh, I'm, I'm a little sheepish about this now actually the basic idea was a day to give back following the days of consuming Black Friday and Cyber Monday, um, and of course Thanksgiving. Um, and the reason I say I feel sheepish about that now is because that's so U.S. focused uh, and Giving Tuesday is just so emphatically global at this point. The U.S. is just one country and, you know, in, in the 70 plus countries who um, who have Giving Tuesday movements. Uh, and the second thing was that it was very nonprofit focused. So it was really um, a lot of the messaging initially focused around donations, where I would say now it's much, much broader in terms of um, inspiring generosity and, and, and in all of its forms um, and really placing a lot of worthiness on all of those acts of generosity, whether they are monetary or non-monetary. Um, and the idea also was, you know, that, that everyone everywhere has something to give, that, that giving is not the province of only big philanthropy or institutional funders, but, but rather a sort of fundamental human value um, that anybody can express and that it is not about a hierarchy, right? It's not about the kind of benevolent giver and the needy person. It's really about um, solidarity between people. And uh, so it, it sort of grew from there. Um, the, the first year had much more participation and, and buy-in than we had expected. Um, right away, uh, CAF UK stepped forward and um, an organization in Canada stepped forward and said, hey, we'd really like to lead this in our countries. And that was sort of the first hint that it was going to have appeal beyond the US. Um, and remember, in those days, uh, a lot of people didn't even know what a hashtag was, right? So the idea of a sort of, quote unquote, hate this phrase, but hashtag movement was really a new thing. And that's hard to imagine now, right? Because they're kind of all around us all the time and, and having these amazing effects. But um, but it was largely a, a kind of new idea at that at that point. Um, and, and who knew, right, if, if social media could make giving go viral. 
Um, and so now sort of fast forward uh, eight years, nine years, we have um, spun out of the 92nd Street Y. It just became um, really its own, its own whole planet, right? That needed independence. And um, that was really a fascinating process. And so now Giving Tuesday is both a movement and an organization. Um, we call ourselves the, the nucleus uh, of the global movement. So we're not, you know, in charge of it. Our role is largely you know, facilitating and connecting and supporting the, you know, the, the kind of larger vision that we set for the movement and also the, the sub movements and networks and ideas and innovations that emerge organically from it. Um, so we have a 25 person team um, and the, the leadership team of um, global and community leaders and, and coalition related leaders is numbers in the hundreds at this point. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think there's lots I want to, to pick up on there. And I think there's there's different aspects around the the sort of the focus on um, informal, increasing sort of focus on informal acts of giving and at the same time, the sort of internationalization of the campaign and what that means for our understanding of what, what we're talking about when we're talking about giving, which is definitely something I want to talk about. The, the first thing I kind of wanted to pick up on because it's something I'm, I'm fascinated by is is around the sort of idea of decentralized models or kind of distributed models of governance or leadership because it seems from the outset um, the way in which giving tuesday as a campaign as an organization has been structured has been unusual in that you've chosen to do things in a less hierarchical and centralized way and and as you say that kind of the the approach of a sort of hashtag campaign at the point at which you started was not very well known and it's become much more well known and much more prominent I wondered what your take was on why that is and what it is about these modes of doing things that, that increasingly appeals to people, whether it's whether it's that they feel they're a kind of better way of achieving social goals or whether it's that it makes it easier for people to participate or, you know, what, what your sense is of what the appeal is. Such a fascinating question, because, of course, the appeal the answer to that, right, of what what is the appeal is going to be so different depending on right, who you're talking to, right? Um, some would be very pro, right? Uh, some would say, I don't find it appealing at all. Um, so the way that, uh, so answer the first part of the, your question first, the way that we sort of put Giving Tuesday out in the world was with this idea of co-ownership and open adaptation, right? So we were um, very against the idea that we should brand it very strongly, try to get lots of credit for it, tell other people how to do it. Um, it was more like, here's an idea, take it, own it, change it, change the name, change the logo, even change the day if you want, right? It's just, it's all about putting good out there in the world. And like, we trust people to, you know, raise their hands and say, I love this idea and then manifest it as they see fit. And so these hundreds of leaders around the world who are our main touch points that our, our main community is this global um, community of leaders. And then of course, beyond that, there are countless hundreds of thousands and millions of organizations and people, families and schools and so forth who engage with Giving Tuesday at, at their own level. Um, but the way that we think about our leadership community is we have these you know, 70, 75 countries, for example, and each one of them leads Giving Tuesday as they think it should be led in their own countries. And the, the idea that, you know, people within communities know what those communities need is really strong and fundamental to how we think about Giving Tuesday, right? Rather than here's the, here's the name of it, here's the day, here's the brand guidelines, here are all of the rules that you have to follow to participate. No, we want, you know, Giving Tuesday in Croatia or 
Tanzania or Little Rock or wherever to look like those places, to, to fit those cultural identities. And at the same time, there is something so unified about the vision of all of those leaders and the way that we pursue the mission of a more generous world together. So there's this really fascinating sort of balance between being completely unique and having control over your own part of this movement, and at the same time being hyper-connected and interconnected with the rest of the people who are doing the same work, maybe differently, in their own communities. Um, and so I think that that part is really appealing, that you're not doing something somebody else's work, right? You're doing your own work. You, you own your part of this work. And I think that that's something that is, um, I think that's something that movements share. So I think the question, like from the perspective of, of that I can offer best is from the perspective of those who join movements, right, at a, at a grassroots level or who raise their hands to be leaders within a movement. Um, and I think that neither movement leaders or movement participants intellectualize why they're joining quite to that degree, um, even though, you know, effectiveness and, and um, you know, democratization and sort of all of those concepts are, are, are really important and in analyzing why you know, these things are so powerful. But as a movement develops, its model and its assets and its structure develops as it develops, right? So not to say there's not intentionality and vision, there is, but movements by their nature are created by a collective, right? And a networked collective of humans isn't going to lay out a, a clear strategy, a clear path at the outset, like an institution or an organization with traditional power structures would do. And, and of course, that's why they're, they're messy, right? And, and fascinating. Um, so is the appeal to, to those who join movements, the, the effectiveness of them or, or the collectiveness of them? I, I would say it's, in the case of Giving Tuesday, very much about the democratization of participations, right? So in our case, the, the participation in intentional collective generosity is really appealing, that there's there's this amazing level of, of agency, right, of power, of becoming aware of one's own capacity to create change that seems often really surprising and enlightening to people, right, especially people who've been given the clear message all their lives that they have no agency. So this, this feeling of being a, a critical part of the change, um, again, owning that part of that change, right? I, I don't think people join movements thinking, I'm going to join this movement because I think it will be more effective than an institutional or top-down approach. Right? I think, you know, in terms of effectiveness and I mean, effective by whose definition anyway, I, I, I should reveal here that I have some bias on that topic. Maybe we can get to that later, but I'm quite cranky about the way we look at effectiveness in the sector largely. Um, but obviously the effect that a movement has, its long-term outcomes and its, its growth, et cetera, varies right between various movements or, or networked approaches, um, but it's become so clear in recent years just how powerful they actually are. And I'm speaking of, I'm speaking of kind of modern movements, right? Our, our so-called hashtag movements, which are hyper-connected in a way that, that technology and social media can allow now that was never before um, true. And in the very beginning, right, there were all of these um, cries of slacktivism, right? That, that this generation doesn't actually want to make change they just want to click a button and then they think that they've, you know, that they've done something powerful. And I, you know, honestly, I just, I, that seemed like bullshit right from the beginning to me. And, and now we, we actually see that though they're capable of dramatic change, right? Whether you're looking at, you know, making or toppling careers or leading to policy change or 
creating fundamental behavior change, which is really giving Tuesday's long-term goal. Um, but I think there's a third thing that's really important to identify too, which, you know, is connected to the fact that, you know, so back to the fact right, that nobody actually joins a movement by framing it in their head, um, you know, in sort of cold terms, right? I think, I think part of the, the larger generosity conversation, it, it's, it, generosity is often discussed in like such chilly and impersonal taxonomy, right? Where nothing is more personal than generosity, right? nothing is more personal than, than justice or, or the other things that people are fighting for with movements. So, you know, people join a movement guided generally more by the heart and soul than the head. Right? And that, that, that's very true of generosity as well, I think. You know, initial involvement is often reactive or emotional. Yes, I believe in this. I like this. I'm going to engage. I'm going to, I'm going to tweet. You know, I'm going to join this march. I'm going to give this donation or whatever it is. And then if that initial engagement is rewarding, I'm going to find myself engaging more deeply, right? More intentionally, finding new ways to be useful, new ways to lead, finding myself suddenly part of this groundswell of activity that, that shares a common vision. And that, that emotional component is really important. If you, you know, if you go see a symphony or, or hear a gospel choir or a musical or, or you're watching a, a murmuration of starlings and you find yourself in a mood, you find yourself in tears, that's not because you carefully considered in advance the effectiveness of the symphony on your heartstrings or whatever. You're moved by the, the beauty of the many voices swelling together and the feeling of connection that that creates. And, and being part of a, of a movement or, or a highly interconnected networked approach is the same, right? It's many voices swelling together and it, it's profound and moves you and it's powerful. And it inspires you to imagine something that doesn't exist yet, right? You enter a space of, of radical imagination. And whether you describe that as emotional or psychological or spiritual or whatever the word is, differing by person, it's really important not to discount because it's the glue of the movement, right? So when, when we talk about our network of, of, of leaders, right, our hundreds of community leaders and, and country leaders, that's what they're held together by. Um, but that part is constantly discounted, I find, because it, it can't be measured and it can't be put in a flowchart and, and because we're so attached to our flowcharts and our, our theories of change and, and so forth. Sorry, that was a very long answer to your question. No, it's it's really interesting. I think you're absolutely right that on the you know, certainly on the individual level, um, apart from a very odd handful of people, nobody sort of goes into to joining a movement on the basis of thinking, well, I really like the idea of decentralized government <laughs> yeah, structures. Definitely. But 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 I guess what I'm I sort of interested in, there will be underlying reasons why these things appeal to people. And from the point of view of more traditional NGOs um, and nonprofits and those with kind of more centralized and hierarchical structures, it does seem like a really interesting question to me of what what they take from the increasing prominence of of these kinds of movements and these ways of doing things i mean do they see them as telling them something about quite fundamental aspects of the human condition that that they would do well to remember do they suggest that there is a kind of increasing competition when it comes for to doing good and that actually they should see these movements as a challenge albeit a sort of positive one or is it that there are kind of elements of those ways of working that more traditional nonprofits could kind of incorporate into what they do and, and I'm kind of interested in your take on that particularly because in the way that you've structured Giving Tuesday it obviously has a, a level of sort of decentralization and lack of hierarchy but you're involving more traditional 
institutions and organizations in it. So kind of what, what has been the take from those organizations about working in this different way? Have there, has there been resistance or have they largely been positive to it? And when you, just to clarify, when you say they, you mean kind of traditional NGOs? So yeah, so organizations that themselves have like quite a set, you know, yep. hierarchical centralized yep. um, structure, but are working in this sort of more networked way as elements within a network. Um, so, wow. So a bunch of different answers to that question. So I would say that, that largely organizations have found it um, that it, that it changes their organizational approach, right? That it, that it, that it really is an opportunity to undergo a fundamental mindset shift and that leads to organizational change. Um, the rewards of things like taking risks and doing experiments and collaborating versus competing um, are so great, right? That, that they're generative, right? That people tend to want to do more of them. First though, really importantly, there is a difference between decentralized and distributed that I think is that those two words often get conflated and they're, they're really, the, the difference is subtle, but so important. And one reason movements are fascinating is because their structures are so different, right? They're, they're lumped together, but they're so utterly unique in model. And the way our model works is really important for um, the way that NGOs engage in it, right? So, so Occupy, for example, was, was deliberately decentralized. It was leaderless where Giving Tuesday is, is leaderful, right? Our whole strategy basically boils down to, to leadership. Um, and I think those, those leaders are kind of all about, you know, changing mindsets within the sector that they sit in, right? In their own levels. And, and it's, it's fascinating to me, you know, having <laughs> spent way too much time on airplanes in the past five or six years and learning about what generosity looks like and what the sector looks like in all of these different countries. And, you know, obviously that some things are, are so um, dependent on the locality, right? The, what, let's say what the tax policy is around giving or um, what, you know, what different cultural traditions are sort of embedded. Um, and some things are so very similar, right? Questions around, you know, traditional versus innovative forms of governance, you know, competition versus collaboration, you know, the disincentivizing risk and experimentation and, and everybody's dealing with those same challenges. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think kind of adopting a more abundant mindset, right, versus the sort of scarcity mindset that we see so often in the nonprofit economy doesn't happen without that mindset shift. Um, it doesn't require decentralization, right? It, it's actually much easier than, than people think. And I think we, we just have, it's so embedded in the sector to be risk averse, right? To think about other nonprofits as our competitors, you know, versus our potential collaborators. And we're not incentivized in terms of funding, right? To, to think of those things. We are, we are always scrambling to think about where the next dollar or euro or pound or whatever is, is going to come from. Um, think about how different that is, you know, in the, in the tech sector. So with, with Giving Tuesday, one of the most important kind of guiding principles in, since, since really the very beginning um, is what we call mission over brand or sometimes unbranding. Um, and I'm not advising that every organization throw away their brand to start experimenting with these ideas of becoming less top-down, less command and control, less traditional in structure, but it's a really interesting thought experiment to consider what it would mean if you were told to think about meeting your mission only, right, without worrying about funding or credit or logos, 
for a year, right? Chances are you would quickly realize that the best chance of meeting your mission, maybe the only chance of meeting your mission is with others. And that's, that's the birth of a networked approach. Who are your ideal collaborators, right? Hint, think humans first, organizations second. Um, collaborations don't have to be intuitive and they don't have to be local. Who are your ideal ambassadors? Um, are you willing to let go? Are you willing to cede some control? Are you willing to give up um, some agency and ownership to others? And, and like those are sort of the fundamental questions to start to start asking, you know, in, in sort of moving toward a more healthy and productive integration with networked approaches and movements, right? So it doesn't mean that everything has to become decentralized. Everything has to adopt these new power structures, but we certainly have to find ways to, to fit better together. Um, and so the organizations that have done best with, with the Giving Tuesday model have been the ones who have begun to take some risks, cede some ownership, think less about their brand and more about their mission, link arms with others, um, share things, right? Peer learning and sharing data. And, and all of those are like so central to the ethos of, of the, the Giving Tuesday community. It's, it's really interesting because it feels like it has a lot of parallels with the discussions in sort of the world of philanthropy around, I guess, funding movements, but also sort of funding, you know, in a place-based way and, and actually shifting towards models where you are trusting in people and, and communities in, in certain locales to kind of come up with their own solutions and to support them to do that. But it, it seems like, you know, that that sounds great and you hear it a lot on paper from a lot of funders but the 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 reality of it and the sort of the real rub is when you actually have to give away the power and seed seed power for to to organizations on the ground to kind of make their own decisions even if they might be decisions that you yourself as a funder would not have made um from your point of view where you're not giving necessarily financial resources but you are trying to kind of give away power to the the partners that you work with in other countries over kind of what they do with the brand have you ever found any challenges in terms of your sort of level of comfort with giving away power being pushed towards limits where organizations have sort of gone off in a direction where you've sort of thought oh actually we need to maybe have a conversation to bring it back more because we're worried it's not aligned with the mission anymore no, I would say that my challenges are much more with the the side of philanthropy that does say all of those words like funding movements and systems change and global networks and local leadership and and often doesn't feel comfortable really putting a lot of resource behind those things. Um, and I've heard a lot of a lot of those you know sort of reasons, right? That we don't know where the dollars are going. They could go to things that we don't support. Um, you don't know what all these local leaders are going to do. You don't know if some of them are corrupt and, um, you know, all, all sort of on and on. Um, but on the on the other side of things, right, being deeply embedded in this broader community where we have ceded so much control, I thrive on that that sense of letting go and seeing what people do with things. And, and I think it's a powerful lesson about distribution versus decentralization, right, because it is... It is the interconnectedness of the community that keeps everyone um, unified and that keeps people from becoming bad actors. Not that I feel that any of them would become bad actors, but you're 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 seeding control in one way, right? But you're also creating cohesion in building a community that is based on transparency and trust. And so, you know, I see our leaders doing incredible work and often in, in areas of crisis and with very little resource. And I think, you know, we really need to begin to understand that we can't, 
by we, I don't know who I mean, big institutions, the West, right? Um, we can't believe that we know the best way for a community to work or heal or solve a problem. Um, we have to start trusting that people in those communities know how to do that. And, and, and so that, that sense of, of transparency is, is there, but, but there's also such a strong culture that, that it, um, it creates a, a sense of accountability, right? And, um, and I think that as much as anything would, would keep people from sort of saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna corrupt the idea of Giving Tuesday by doing this thing or that thing. So challenges with it have really been kind of mostly around this idea of branding, right? So when, when, when an organization raises its hand and says, you know, I wanna run Giving Tuesday and wherever it might be, you know, Estonia or Brazil or um, Chile, whatever. Um, one of the things that one of the few right things that we say we feel really strongly about is, you know, as a leader of Giving Tuesday, as the, you know, the movement, it's about the movement and not about your organization, right? It's not a, it's not a path to promoting your own brand um, because that's not co-ownership, right? That's, that's the definition of ownership. It's the very traditional way of looking at why things are branded in the first place. Branding is, is simply ownership. It's a, it's, a, it's a sign that I own this thing, literally the word brand, right? Like you'd brand a cow. Um, and so if, if people are starting to do that, because, because that happens, right? Like we were, we were all like raised in the, the organizational marketing think of, right. But, but we have to get our own organization promoted as much as possible. And we have to get our brand out there as much as possible, uh, you know, that, that will seep in. Um, and so we, we just, you know, we just talk like openly about it and it has, it has not ever ultimately been an issue. And I think the reason that it's not ultimately an issue is that, Again, being part of that open sharing, non-hierarchical, non-bureaucratic peer learning community is so rewarding, right? It makes such a huge difference that nobody wants to jeopardize their place in that community. Um, so it's 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 fascinating. Like it's fascinating lessons in how important that internal culture of a movement is. And from from what I've read um, a lot about movements, you know one of the things that often will fell a movement is, you know, internal fracturing or, or infighting. And I think that that can often come down to ideas around ownership, um, ideas around hierarchy, who's the most powerful, who's the leader, right? And so by doing away with a lot of those traditional notions, um, I think that's, that's, that's helped us make it this far. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I find this whole area fascinating. I think in terms of the the distinction you keep, you're drawing between being you know decentralized and distributed and actually retaining some level of, of leadership, that's really important because certainly from what I've read about it, you know, the, the known historical challenge around truly leaderless um, movements or, or kind of um, uh, organizations is that eventually one way or another you do get leaders or cliques or elites being formed it's just they happen in ways that are less obvious and transparent and that tends to to spell usually uh, major problems because sort of it's there are people who have more prominence and more say over decision making but you're not even quite sure on what basis so actually having enough structure to say you know we are able to offer some leadership and to kind of guide but without taking control I think that balance feels like exactly the right one so it's yeah it's really interesting yeah it, feel, it feels like a, a really good balance to me too and and also we're always willing to adapt it right mm. now I would I would say 
in thinking about, about movements also, and this gets back to my kind of crankiness around the word effectiveness, you know, what we don't, what is, again, like effective by whose definition, what does a movement set out to do, right? So, so people point to Occupy a lot, right, as a, a leaderless movement that was utterly decentralized and it didn't last very long. But that's, in my mind, not a criticism of Occupy, right? It's, it's, it's leaderless structure was itself a statement about traditional power structures and hierarchies. And, and it started conversations that arguably are culminating in the current moment, right? Or at least more relevant than ever. Um, and, and so by many definitions, you would call that a successful movement. Um, there was not longevity and maybe there was not ever meant to be longevity, right? There was, and, and that's what your question gets at, right? Set, setting and maintaining strategy and unity over the long term. It was, it was sudden and sharp and powerful and it had a radical vision and then it just, dis, it dissipated, right? Um, and, and in the beginning, actually we had many conversations, um, you know, Henry, Henry and I had many conversations around, well, you know, let's work on this for a few years, right? Like let's really get it um, get it going, right? We used to say it's it's not a movement until it moves without you. And then just we kind of give it up, right? We kind of like send it out into the ether and, and let it do its thing, just like Cyber Monday, right? Cyber Monday was created by actual people inside actual institutions. And then it was unbranded and it was given away and it, it does its thing, right? It does exactly what it was meant to do, which is make a lot of people a lot of money and people can adapt it and they can use it. And, right? and so we drew that parallel in the beginning. And over the years, we realized not ever that we want to become top heavy, not ever that we want to become a thousand person, you know, central organization with a huge marketing department and so forth, but that there really was a role for the nucleus, right? In as a nucleus does containing the DNA and the culture of the larger organism, right? And in articulating a vision that, that is radical and then creating a space, so this is an actual term, radical imagination, creating a space of radical imagination that you then invite other people into. And that, that's sort of the, the role of that became really clear over the years. Um, and, it, it's, and maybe it won't be forever, right? But, but right now there is this sort of centrifugal force that, um, that I feel like is, is helping the movement to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. I, I could talk about centralization and, and governance structures all day, but I feel like I just I want to move the conversation slightly on to I mean it'd be related, but just to, to pick up on the, the focus within Giving Tuesday, um increasingly sort of on, I mean initially on kind of mass giving, but as you were saying there, I mean as as it's become more global, particularly the, the definition of what constitutes generosity seems to me to have broadened in a really interesting way. And actually by kind of engaging with different cultures of giving around the world, it's actually, you know, looking at that, I think, has, has done a lot to kind of enhance our own understanding of what giving means. Um, what do you feel like you've kind of learned through that process and, and kind of how does that play back into the US context, for instance? Yeah, th this part of, of, of Giving Tuesday has been mind-blowing for me like just has really changed my entire conception of of generosity and the various ways that it that it manifests around the world and <laughs> and and in kind of deeply humbling ways to be honest with you um so yeah in the beginning you know the the sort of the beginning the idea was sort of around one day and it was around money and it was around nonprofits, and it was around you know yes mass giving lots of people regular people small smallish gifts etc 
And now I would say it's really about generosity as a driver of behavior and all of the societal implications that that has and, um, and, and, and year round, right? So thinking about the day itself as a, a day of celebration of work that is happening year round. And so what happened was that as Giving Tuesday spread, it spread to so many different countries, literally every corner of the world. And their goals for it were many and varied, right? In some places it was about, um, you know, attracting attention to the, the, you know, the NGOs who were making a difference locally that people, you know, didn't tend to not to, to know about or recognize. And in some places it was much more about grassroots, you know, in community behavior. Um, in, in many places, it's just about kind of human to human connection, how we, how we care for each other. And so, you know, as I sort of traveled around and learned about how generosity is looked at and it, manifest in various places, I realized that, you know, we in, in the United States, we tend to look at giving as, as a U.S. Americans would look at it, right, which is very financial and very transactional. And the, the part that I mean that has been humbling to me is in realizing that, you know, by, by doing, by looking at generosity in that, in that very transactional way, we are actually not recognizing um, 99% of the more powerful effects that it can have when looked at in a broader way, right? So, you know, as, as new countries join and I, I sort of learn about their generosity traditions, you know, I, I could go on and on about these. We have a whole spreadsheet of them. Um, one of our most recent countries to join is, is Senegal. And when we had our original discussion with them, you know, we, before we, you know, um, welcome a new leader into, into the fold, we have lots of discussions with them to sort of make sure that we're all on the same page philosophically and so forth. Um, it's, it's more of a process than people tend to think. Um, but we were, you know, we were talking and, and you know, I love asking sort of about what generosity culture and, and donation culture and all that sort of what the sector's like, what challenges they face. Um, and our a leader there was saying, you know, the, the main problem in Senegal with regard to, to giving is that people simply don't recognize the work that, that local NGOs are doing. And so they're, you know, constantly sort of really strapped for resource and governments are giving a lot less money to NGOs these days and so forth. Um, but that among people, right, that generosity is unbelievably strong, right? Like it's in Senegal, for example, it's not acceptable for people to eat alone, right? <laughs> Whereas in the United States, right, loneliness and isolation are, are you know, endemic, right? And what does that say about our, our generosity, you know, as a, a sort of driver of the way that we look at and treat other people on a daily basis? Our donations may be sky high, right? But that's, that's just one part of, it, of, of the way that generosity manifests in, in a community or in a country, in a culture, in a society, et cetera. And so our vision became much more around um, how do we how do we create a society where generosity is at the heart of everything that we decide to do? And so while, while there's this sort of lot of conversation now around, you know, you can't, generosity is not a substitute for justice. And, um, you know, we have to, we can't just keep giving to nonprofits and not ignoring, you know, and not, not dealing with the sort of systemic problems under that, all of which I just couldn't agree more with. But I would also say that you can't, you will never get to a place of justice without generosity, right? That, that generosity is as fundamental to a healthy and thriving society as love is to a family, right? You, you could have all the money in the world, right? You could have all the resources in the world, 
send your kids to the best schools, et cetera. But like if a family doesn't have like the basic value of love between them, like that the whole thing is not going to go well. Right. That generosity is that fundamental to um, the world beyond a family. Um, And I think that that's sort of how my mind has expanded around the idea. um, The idea of what generosity is over the years by virtue of working with this broader community. Um, And I think we really, we really, um, do ourselves a disservice with that narrow definition of generosity and our, our placing of value judgments on individual acts of generosity. Uh, it's it's kind of all very, like, again, it's kind of a cold and impersonal and non-profound way of looking at, at giving that we tend to do. And, and it's one of the arguments, I think, for building more global communities and more global networks, because we are exposed to the way that other people think about things and look about the way, the way even the basic language, right, works around about, about our conception of, of what basic things are, um, that we could do so much more. We could know so much more. We could, we could drive so much more giving, right? We could inspire so many more movements if we, if we took that more global perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think certainly on that question of generosity versus justice, which I agree, I mean, I'm totally on board with it. And I think it's a fascinating question with a long history, but I, I worry when the two are presented as sort of um, uh, as if there's some sort of zero sum game Me between too. them. And actually, I think we need both, yes. you know, they, they serve different functions. Um, I think what, what you're saying there about the kind of expanding our own understanding of, of giving, um, I think is fascinating. Because I, I agree, the more I find out about cultures of giving and their long histories in other countries, I find it very enriching. But also in a really sort of practical sense, it feels like at, at the moment, and particularly I think during the pandemic, some of the phenomena we've seen in the UK and the US, I think, have have kind of brought people's attention back to some of these other ways of thinking about generosity and social action I'm thinking there's been a lot of focus on things like kind of mutual aid rather than charity but also just on the kind of basic acts of neighborliness and kind of community um do you do you get a sense over there in the U.S. that there's a kind of a time to you know it's a real time to sort of have these conversations anew and that actually what you've been doing through Giving Tuesdays is a sort of moment in time when when people will really take that on board yeah I mean what's happened during the pandemic has been so so fascinating to watch and it, it actually inspired our latest thing our latest initiative which is the starling collective um mm. yeah i think that we saw that just this incredible outpouring of generosity in the beginning right, right from the beginning right in the first weeks you know even even the first days it was like when when you would think right if you had to guess that people would be um they were doing that right but they were also really thinking a lot about their neighbors and about people who are falling through the cracks and about people in need. And, um, and so, yes, you know, meet the mutual aid networks, fascinating, fascinating example also, you know, have big implications for the way that they disintermediate nonprofits. Right. Um, and, and raise the question of, you know, um, what makes a more immediate impact, right? And and what are the long-term implications for that? And I don't, I don't know the answers to those questions and I don't know whether, it's good or bad, right? But I do think that that sort of grassroots, um, innovative, right, generosity-focused actions that people started taking, I just found that profoundly moving. And um, and the one thing that it felt like we could really offer was our lessons learned from um, building peer learning communities of trust, right? Because what I was seeing was all of these not just mutual aid networks, right? There's, there's, there's dozens, right? There's, there's things that are, you know, focused on disability rights, things that are focused on 
LGBTQ rights and things that are, um, you know, focused on climate and there are kids doing amazing things. I could go on and on and that, um, that they're often doing them sort of, you know, in their own backyard and could be sharing best practices and ideas and giving each other support, right? Which is like one of the biggest things of, of the Giving Tuesday community of leaders. One, one thing that they offer each other is just nonstop support, right? They, they cheer each other on. Right? They, they cheer on each other's successes. When they have a good idea, they want to see it replicated in the broader community. And so when you have all of these generosity, grassroots, sort of grassroots generosity actions, projects, initiatives that are happening in local communities in the U.S. and all over the world, you think, oh, well, how, how much more powerful could they be if they are part of a community, right? If they're, if they're learning from each other and supporting each other and seeing each other through the inevitable moments of, um, of oh my God, I just can't do this anymore. Um, and that's, that's sort of why we start, started Starling because it's a, it's a community of different kinds of leaders than our country leaders. They're not leaving Giving Tuesday campaigns. They're doing very specific hyper-local, but globally replicable um, initiatives that, that may or may not be, be sort of directly generosity focused. Um, they, they might be focused on lots of different things, uh, but they are really about inspiring people, connecting people, bringing healing, bringing hope, bringing optimism. Um, and, and it's been remarkable to, to watch them connect with one another so far. Yeah, I can imagine, and it's certainly. I mean, I think it's fascinating because it often strikes me that that can be a very lonely existence if you are working in a relatively sort of local way on an issue and up against kind of vested interests or or whatever. But but actually, if you don't have that sense of other people doing similar things elsewhere and facing similar challenges, it must feel like you're kind of taking the whole burden of the world on your own shoulders. So actually, just to be able to share with the community of people doing similar things, I'm sure there's an enormous amount of just to be gained from uh, from that, so it'll be really interesting to see how it develops. Yeah, and it, it, and and yes, 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 absolutely to all of that. And I think there's also powerful implications around leadership, right? So, like our 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 Starling cohort is 50 people from 29 countries. They speak 33 different languages. They range in age from 11 to 71. None of these people are people with traditional forms of power or capital, right? Um, they're they're highly, highly diverse. And many, many, many of them would be, you know, voices that you would call marginalized. And so I think that when you, when your voice is not prized and looked up to and amplified over the course of your life, you're much less likely to identify yourself as a leader, right? And what I see in these, um, in this cohort of people is regardless of their circumstances, of their age, um, you know, of the place that they sit in the world or in their communities, they are leaders. And that the, um, the journey to being able to identify themselves as leaders is so powerful because once you can identify yourself as a leader, right? And we hear that over and over again, like, I didn't think about myself as a leader until you kept saying it. Um, the, the implications for where they can go from there, the, the people that they can draw in, right? The vision that they can feel confident in articulating, big implications for all of that going forward. And, and another reason that I, that I just never feel comfortable looking at a single generosity action as good, bad, better, worse, blah, 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 blah on its own is because it, it is so generative and it does have such long-term implications, right? They have to look at a person's whole kind of trajectory um, 
starting, you know, 11 years old and I'm, I'm trying to, um, you know, raise awareness about climate action, right. In, in Africa through soccer games. I mean, like, right. What metrics can we wrap around that? But, but what, what implications for the, for the teenager who's, who's doing that, um, to be, to identify as a leader and for their ability to build community and, and, and movements going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I, maybe it's a point to come back to, you know, something you've raised a couple of times here, which is around the question of sort of effectiveness and measurement. And I think, you know, sort of making the point that if if you limit yourself to to those things that you're kind of currently able to measure through the, the paradigms that we have, the danger is that you miss out all of the additional value that comes through the way in which you've chosen to do it or the kind of exter- what might be seen as externalities in terms of what the people involved in a movement get out of it or go on to do. Um, how do you, you know, in your own work, obviously, you, you probably want to some extent to sort of know that what you're doing has benefit, but without getting sort of sucked into the mindset of, you know, impact measurement and kind of metrics, how do you go about kind of reassuring yourself and kind of convincing others that what you're doing has some of that value if, if you're not measuring it in those ways? I mean, is it about just kind of wider storytelling or, or connecting people? How, no, ironically, despite my my um, crankiness around kind of the way that we in the sector look at impact metrics, um, we are actually very data focused. Um, we are <laughs> a huge part of our, our our work is around data and and around measuring what the movement has done. Again, it's it's more like as you say that um, if we had started Giving Tuesday based on only what we knew then, we would never have started Giving Tuesday. Right. And so the, the ability to make giant leaps to create this space of radical imagination that has nothing to do with existing data is really, really important. And then and then it's also really important to measure it. Right. And then and to never let only the things, you know, hold you back from from trying new things and from being willing to fail. Um, we know we know tons about what Giving Tuesday has uh, achieved. And, you know, it, it's funny because in the beginning, in the first couple of years, the thing that we heard most often was, oh, it's just moving money around. Right. People are just giving on Giving Tuesday rather than December 31st, for example. Um, and we we knew that was like we instinctively knew that wasn't true. First of all, there was no evidence that it was true. So the assumption that it was true was also not evidence based. But then going forward, we were able to really measure. And now, now I really am talking about. Oops, sorry. Now I really am talking about um, uh, money, right? Because money is is unfortunately the easiest thing to measure. Um, and we have formed sort of relationships with uh, many, many, many giving platforms and um, and payment processors and and so forth to try to get a big picture on it. Um, and Giving Tuesday, you know, 100% conclusively represents a net lift on giving, um, and 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 a you know a big spike with no corresponding um, dip, right? So so last year on Giving Tuesday in the U.S., uh, two billion dollars was donated. Just to put that number in context, that's more than every major U.S. foundation, with the exception of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation gives away in an entire calendar year. And that's all given by $100, $150 givers, right? That's, that's, that's not big philanthropy. In fact, that's almost certainly not big philanthropy because huge gifts, right? Gifts by high net worth donors, et cetera, are not going to be given via those same processors, right? I'm not going to, not going to send somebody $2 million over PayPal, you know, so forth. Um, 
so that's, you know, th that really represents the number given by, you know, everyday givers, grassroots givers, normal citizens, and, you know, no, no fancy press releases, no, no big recognition for that. But essentially the, you have, what you have is the public, right, giving a $2 billion unrestricted gift to the nonprofit economy on Giving Tuesday. And, and we know that for sure. Um, and we've measured lots and lots of other things, right? The, 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 the kind of um, age range of people who, who participate is all across the board from very young to very old, but particularly among, um, among young people. The idea is you know, that not surprising at all that it's really appealing um, and that the majority of people say that they wanna donate on the day because it allows them to be part of a bigger group of people doing good. Right, so that that the, all of why movements work could probably be encapsulated in that one sentence, right? Sort of being the joy of like being part of the collective and and how rewarding that is. Um, we know that 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 Giving Tuesday inspires people to give in multiple ways. Um, so really fascinatingly, the 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 most common way that that people participate is by giving money, but the least common way that people participate is by only giving money, right? So they're very likely to do multiple things and then to give more in multiple ways going forward. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of the work we've done is sort of questioning things that are just assumed in the sector. Um, like donor fatigue, right? That we don't believe exists. Right? <laughs> People don't get tired of giving. They just don't. Um, they, they get tired of being engaged in the wrong way, right? They might get fatigued with a particular organization or the way that, that organization, you know, um, communicates with them, right? But that's not, they're not tired, right? They're just tired of you. Yeah, no, that's really, that's really interesting. Um, I'm aware we're in, in danger of running long, and I don't want to, to keep you uh, beyond time. I just had one more question that I wanted to ask, if that's okay. Um, I just wanted to, to zoom out slightly, because in, in all of what you're saying there, I mean, around particularly the kind of the focus on mass giving um, and getting away potentially from this sort of idea that it's all about cash giving um, and to, to kind of traditional nonprofits, it seems to me that if that's going to happen increasingly in the sort of digital environment, one upshot of that is a, a growing reliance on sort of platforms um, as a way of donors or individuals engaging with organizations or groups or other individuals that they want to, to support. Um, and, and that's good. And you can see some enormous strengths from that. But I guess increasingly, we're sort of aware that those platforms often are commercial entities whose you know motives and and kind of power structures we're not always very well aware of and there are kind of growing uh, concerns in elements of the non-profit world that we're sort of ceding too much power to to some of that that or sort of assuming that it's digital public space in a way that it really genuinely isn't is that something that you've kind of started thinking about at all in in your work or have you kind of anywhere in the movement people thinking you know actually we need to sort of think about the way in which we interact with and use platforms and make sure that is aligned with our values and ethics um, as we look to the future? We think about it all the time. Um, I mean, unfortunately, we have no control over that, right? I, I think it's, it's a huge open question whether you're talking about social media platforms, right? Or whether you're talking about giving platforms, payment processors, and so forth. This, that has been something that I, I knew, I'm not a sector person, so, you know, I, I, that's like, that's not the, the trajectory of my own career. When I started, you know, running Giving Tuesday, it was, I was learning from the ground up about how all of this worked. And in fact, the first year that, you know, we, um, or like maybe the second or third year, we were thinking about 
you know, how much, how much money is donated on Giving Tuesday, I, I honestly thought in the beginning that there was some, there, there must just be some centralized body that knows that, right? Like that I could just call up somebody and say, you know, what's the number that like flowed through whatever central hub there is, right? That got donated. And of course, right, we know that there isn't. There's literally hundreds of platforms and some of them charge outrageous fees and some of them don't. And some of them are about individuals giving to other individuals directly. And some of them are about giving to nonprofits. And it, there is so little um, that you can say is broadly true across the spectrum of all of those dozens and hundreds of platforms. Um, so, I, I, and you know, now you're seeing like this fascinating sort of trend toward people giving to each other, you know, on Venmo, right? Or, or on, you know, raising money for a sick friend you know, via Venmo and none of that is getting captured, right? None of that is being measured. Um, so I, I think it's kind of a watch this space sort of thing. And, and certainly, you know, in the beginning, a lot of our focus was around like encouraging platforms to, you know, give up their fees for Giving Tuesday. And, and I mean, we still love it when people do that, but we're not placing a whole lot of resource in trying to convince people to change their business model, right? <laughs> for, for, um, just for Giving Tuesday, partially because we're so much less focused, right, on the day itself now and so much more focused on the year-round work. Um, and, you know, and also we're, we're very focused on, you know, whatever way each platform works, we really, really encourage data sharing and thinking about data collaboratively, right, because every sector except ours um, knows that sharing data, that analyzing collective data and then returning the results of that data in safe, constructive and privacy focused ways um, is, is benefits everybody, right? Benefits all the actors. Um, but we don't, we, we think about, we're still years behind in the sector, the way we think about sharing data and being transparent about data um, and having it kind of lift all boats. And, and so that our, our main focus with those platforms is Let's all let's all use this opportunity to learn together, right? We have more data than we have ever, ever, ever had before. Let's learn about what inspires giving. Let's learn about what what drives repeat giving, right? Let's let's learn about um, about how we can inspire more of it and, and more of it in better ways. That's that that part of it is really our focus. That, that that's really the only value that we can we can add in that world. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting to hear. Just I think you're right. There's, I mean, there's so much more that could be done through harnessing kind of collective and, and open data just to understand how giving actually works and what it is that drives it and what we could be doing better. So, you know, the more of that that we can do together, the the better. Um, it, I just before I, I let you go, I just wanted to, to ask, obviously, Giving Tuesday is coming up this year, even though I know you said you're not sort of so much focused on the individual day. There is there is still a day. And as this uh, podcast goes out, I think it'll be next week. So it's Tuesday, the 1st of December. Um, I just wondered if you had any kind of particular things that you wanted to flag up to people this year or particular kind of focuses for, for this year's day. Yeah, yeah. And it is, it is definitely still a big focus. I mean, we, we think about it like a wedding anniversary, right? Like you have this one day of huge celebration, but you're, you're also very much paying attention to it, ideally, um, the rest <laughs> of the year as well. Um, so, yep, coming up on December 1st, I think, you know, it, it's a fascinating year, right? Like there's just been this election. Um, we don't know what the coming weeks are going to hold in terms of, you know, the shenanigans of our government. Um, we do know that the pandemic is worse than ever here and in many places. We know that the the economy is um, on the on the 
tipping point of disaster, um, that people are, are, are nervous and scared and they're also hopeful and they're also optimistic. There's just, there's a lot swirling around Giving Tuesday this year. The two words, so now we're, we're able to sort of do what we call social media listening um, around Giving Tuesday all year round now. And what has shifted from the same time last year is that last year, the words that were sort of most closely associated on social with Giving Tuesday were words like give, you know, donate, et cetera. And now the two words that are, that are most, that are the top coming up as being associated with Giving Tuesday talk are justice and community, which I really, really love. So I think the focus on community, the focus on shared humanity, right? The focus on sort of like the message being that we are all in this together and the only way that we're going to get through it is by caring for one another. That's sort of the overarching Giving Tuesday message this year. Um, so that that might mean money. It might mean mutual aid networks, right? It might mean solitary acts of kindness, right? And on, on the day and beyond. Um, but I think that that's really the the sort of way that we're that we're thinking about it and the sort of messaging that we're hoping people adopt and feels meaningful to people. Um, you know, Giving Tuesday is traditionally a really celebratory day. It's much less focused on all the things that are wrong and much more focused on celebrating the impact that every individual has the capacity to make. And I feel like that's more important than ever when people are feeling like the the control they have over their lives right now is just swirling way out of, out of their control, that they can actually take some of that agency back and make positive change with it. Um, and then, and then hopefully, you know, continuing to do it on, you know, way beyond the day. Um, within that, of course, like we always provide so many ideas, um, you know, on, on our site, open to everybody, you know, ideas for organizations, ideas for families, ideas for um, religious institutions. Like we just put as much out there into the universe as we can. And then obviously, you know, with our sort of ethos of, of co-ownership and adaptation, say, you know, change it, do it, do, use this as, as much as it's useful and then make up your own thing, build on it, share it. Um, but we do provide so many ideas and building blocks for people who are sort of like, I'm not quite sure how I, how I could, how I can dive in and engage. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd echo that. I mean, there's so many different ways that people can get, get involved as individuals, you know, as employees, as, it, as institutions. So, um, you know, I definitely encourage anybody if they've not already thought it through to to go out and seek out some of those resources and think what they can do. Um, it just remains to say thanks ever so much for finding the time to come on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to have the chance to talk. Um, and certainly I wish you, you know, all the best with your work with Giving Tuesday and I'll keep a close eye on, on what develops through the Starling Collective as well. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Okay, great. Well, my thanks again to Asha for coming on the podcast. Uh, it was great to have a chance to, to talk to her. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you all did too. Um, I'll put links in the show notes to some of the things that we talked about and certainly about how you can get involved in Giving Tuesday this year. Still time to do so. If you're interested more broadly in issues around uh, philanthropy and civil society, do check out the Giving Thought pages at the CAF website. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Rodri underscore H underscore Davis or at Philiteracy if you like stuff that's more about history and theory of philanthropy um if you've got ideas for people that i could talk to on the podcast or themes we could cover drop me a line at givingthought at cafonline.org other than that just like subscribe tell all your friends about it leave us a nice review on itunes or wherever else you get your podcasts and i'll see you next time bye (laughs) 